Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, good morning and welcome to Blue Ridge Church, y'all. My name is Matt and I work with the groups here at the church. And I just want to welcome you all this morning, whether you're here in person or watching with us online. I'm really glad that you've joined us today. It is fall, right? It's officially fall now. It's gotten a little chilly outside, but uh, it's a great time of the year, especially around here. So I'm hoping you're enjoying it. Uh, the last couple of weeks, if you've not been here, let me catch you up a little bit. We've been going through this series called The New Norm. And what we've been talking about are the spiritual enemies that we have to deal with or the, or the enemies in life that we've got to deal with. Uh, we've talked about things like the battle that we have within, right? Sometimes we deal with things internally, those negative thoughts or those negative emotions and how to deal with those the way God wants us to deal with them. Uh, but then we also have talked about our exterior circumstances that we go through, right? the battles that we face maybe in the world with other people or with situations we put ourselves in, whether that's because of a decision we made or because of something we found ourselves in. But we've talked about that, and we've talked about that God wants us to be someone. He wants us to follow Christ and to, and to become someone who follows uh, in the footsteps of Jesus, right, of, of being obedient and being faithful. We've talked about a lot of these things. Uh, but what we're going to do today, because this is the last day of this series, is we're going to talk about the spiritual side of it. And we're going to talk about how not only do we have enemies within or enemies around us, but there's enemies in the spiritual world that we've got to acknowledge and deal with as we go throughout life. I think a lot of us, and I know when I say spiritual enemies, some of you are like, oh man, this this is going to be good, right? Like, this is going to be crazy. I promise you, I'm not going to say anything crazy. I'm not going to make you feel uncomfortable about this. I know this can be a touchy subject for some people, but we're going to really look at what the Bible says about it. We're going to look at what God tells us about the spiritual world and the spiritual enemies that we have to deal with as we go throughout life. Now, I think that many of us, if not all of us, would probably agree, even if you don't believe in God or even if you don't believe in Christianity per se, that, that our existence is made up of two different parts. There's the physical part, right? It's the stuff that we can see. It's our bodies, that, that we were born into these bodies, and your body has a shape, right? It's got a form. It's something you can experience, you can see, you can touch, you can smell it sometimes, right? But then there's another side of existence, right? It's our spiritual side, that it's, it's not necessarily what we are, but who we are. Uh, sometimes we call that our faith. Other times, many of us maybe call that uh, like our soul or our conscience, or maybe it's our identity, right? But it's not necessarily something we can see, but we know it's there. There's something more to just our physical bodies than, than, than what we might be just visually able to see. Here's what the Bible says about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, if there's a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. Right? Like that the way that God designed it to be is that not only do we have physical bodies, but there's a spiritual side to us as well. Because our physical bodies, as we grow up and we get older, those start breaking down and not working the way that they used to work. And, and, and eventually they, they die, right? But our spiritual side, what we learn, and we'll learn here in a little bit, is that no matter what happens to our physical body, that spiritual side stays alive forever. Okay, and so what we really need to look at this morning is what kind of influence that spiritual world plays in our existence. And so when we talk about these battles, 
the things that we go through, the trials that we face, sometimes they are internal. Sometimes there's things that we deal with because of decisions we've made or circumstances we put ourselves in. Other times it's external, maybe the world around us. But there's also times where it's neither of those two and it's completely the spiritual. It's the spiritual enemy that's attacking us, trying to take away from us what God has given to us. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Paul says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Happy Sunday. (laughs) Right? Right? What Paul's saying here is the entire universe is a battleground. He's saying not only do we have to deal with uh, the physical enemies, right, the people who want to attack us and destroy us, and, and think about the context of what he's writing in, right? He's got a lot of enemies, people who are after him, people who want to shut him up and to kill him. He's saying not only do we have to deal with those people, those physical enemies, but we've all got to deal with the spiritual enemies as well, the ones that want to kill, steal, and destroy who we are. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a lot of scripture, We're going to go kind of fast through this, but we're going to look at what the Bible says about this spiritual enemy, about who it is, and then we're going to look at what this spiritual enemy does to attack us, but then what we're going to do is talk about the ways we can defend ourselves, the way God has given us to defend ourselves in the midst of those attacks. So if you want to take notes this morning, you can go ahead and open up the Church Center app or, or go to that website that, that, brings up, uh, that you get when you go to the QR code, and you can fill this in for learning number one. In order to defend ourselves, we need to know who we're fighting against. It's really important for us to know who it is that we're fighting against. So one of my pet peeves of Christianity is the, um, I guess how you say it is, is kind of the way that's like Hollywoodized, right? Like when we think of things like, for example, like heaven, like many of us would probably think of like the Homer Simpson heaven, where it's, you know, there's all these clouds and, you know, we've got white robes and halos and a can of Duff's beer and we're just jumping around from cloud to cloud and it's the good life, right? Uh, and then when we think of, you know, things like the devil or, 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 or Satan, we think of this big bull, right? This red bull who's got horns and, you know, he's got a pitchfork that's fiery red and he's breathing fire and smoke out of his nose and, and that's our enemy, Right? And I know that it's not all like Hollywood and movies and shows, uh, and a lot of that stems back to the medieval times. If you look back at a lot of that, that art from those time periods, you see that things painted on churches or, or artifacts that are found have that depiction of some of these biblical pictures and imagery. But really what I, what I don't like about it is because, you know, it kind of makes this spiritual world, the, you know, the spiritual enemies, and when we talk about this, it kind of makes it seem silly, Right? It can kind of make it seem abstract, like the devil's just this guy who sits on our shoulder, who, who just whispers into our ear to try to get us to do bad things. You know what I mean? Like It kind of makes it seem like it's, just, it's not real, like we'll take the good stuff, we'll take the stuff that God says, but when it gets to like the devil or when it gets to Satan or all these spiritual enemies we have, sometimes that can seem just uh, kind of a little silly, and, and it's harder to believe those things. And that's why I think it's so important for us to look at what the Bible says about it. Because not only do we need to acknowledge it, that it's there, but we need to understand not only who it is, but how that enemy attacks us. I think many of us would probably be surprised as as to who that enemy is, because when you look at what the Bible says about it, the, the greatest enemy that we have actually started out as an angel. 
The Bible says that when God created the heavens, he created all the angels and everything in heaven. And, and one of the guys, one of the angels that God created was this angel named Lucifer. And when we hear Lucifer immediately, it's like, that's the devil, right? Like, that's the bad one. But when he created Lucifer, it wasn't like that. Lucifer was the most beautiful, majestic angel of all God's creation. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this in the book of Ezekiel when it describes Lucifer. He's, he's speaking to him. He says, you were the model of perfection. You were full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. I mean, that's kind of crazy, right? That Lucifer was this angel. He was this perfect angel, full of wisdom, full of beauty. And, and he was just this incredible creation. However, what ends up happening, and the Bible doesn't give us a timeline on this, but it says at some point, Lucifer wasn't content with being number two. He wanted to be number one. He came up with this plan to overthrow God and take over that kingdom of heaven, and, and he failed to do so. But as a result of this, the Bible teaches us that God takes away his beauty, takes away Lucifer's perfection, takes away his extravagance, right? All of the, the amazing things that God has given to him, and he casts him out of heaven. So where does he go? The Bible teaches us that when God casts Lucifer out of heaven, he ends up in this world that we live in today, and he's given the name Satan. And so what we read about in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is that Satan is the ruler of this world, and he's our greatest spiritual enemy. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, talking about Satan. It says, he's the commander of the powers in this unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So he's the ruler of this world. We're going to get to that a little bit later. But his name, Satan, literally translates into adversary. He's the person who's against us. He's the person who hates us. And the reason he hates us so much is because he hates God. And anyone who sides and aligns with God immediately becomes an enemy of, Satan, uh, of, of Satan's. Right? And so a couple different ways the Bible describes him as we read through the Bible. One of the ways is he's the tempter. You know, when you think about temptation, temptation really is just being tempted to or, or convinced to do something that God tells us not to do. And so one of the names that he has is the tempter. You can go all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve, right, where Satan comes and he tempts Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit that God said not to eat. See, what he's trying to do is he's trying to turn people against God, trying to get them to disobey, trying to get us to disobey the things that God has told us to do or not to do. Another name that he's given is the accuser. If you think about it, sort of like a legal term, that he's our accusers, that he stands before the judge and he points at us and says, he's done this, she's done that, they've not listened, they've not obeyed, they've not lived out their faith, they've not, and starts listing off the things we haven't done or the things we aren't in an attempt to convince God, but also to convince us that we're not good enough. And so he's given this name. He's the accuser. But then the third name he's given is the deceiver. He's a liar, right? He's the liar of liars. And what he attempts to do when he lies to us is manipulate us to believing something that's not true or not believing something that is true. And so he's given all of these names, but I think one of the most incredible things that the Bible describes about Satan, about this spiritual enemy that we have, is this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Satan, who's the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. So not only does he tempt, 
Not only does he accuse us, not only does he deceive us, but he's got the power and the ability to blind us from the goodness of God, from the good things that God has done for us in our lives. I mean, when we read about our enemy, when we read about Satan in the Bible, it's not just some abstract idea. It's not just some silly concept. Our enemy is real. Our enemy hates us, and our enemy lives to attack and destroy who we are, to destroy the people who God wants us to be, to destroy the person that we want to be, the, per- the people of faith, the people of belief. We talked a lot last week about having strong faith. Our enemy hates that. And as we go through our lives and we talk about facing battles and going through hardships and dealing with some of the pain and and hardships in life, what we need to realize is we've got an enemy that wants to destroy us. And so what we do, or what do we do? The Bible luckily tells us and gives us Paul in the same passage that as he explains who the devil is, he explains who our spiritual enemy is, he tells us exactly what we need to do in order to defend ourselves. And it's learning number two. In order to defend ourselves, we must prepare ourselves. We've got to be ready. We've got to get ready, right? We've got to be ready for those attacks. We've got to know what those attacks are going to be, and we need to know how we can prevent those and fight against those if we want to find victory through those attacks. And so right in Ephesians chapter 6, he starts talking about in verse 11, he says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. If you've been in church for, you know, a couple years, or if you've been, you grew up in church, you probably learned this as a kid, that the armor of God, right, to put on the armor of God, to defend yourself against the enemy that we have. And so Paul says in verse 11, in in order to stand firm against his strategies, we need to defend ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves, but we need to defend ourselves by putting on this armor. And so what he does is he gives us this illustration. He starts listing off pieces of armor. And so the first one here in verse 14 is, 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 is the belt of truth. He says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Now the belt of truth, that's the first piece. And it's pretty easy and simple to see why that's such an important thing, because we talked about this, that Satan's a liar. He, he's the God of all lies. Here's what it says in John chapter 8, verse 44. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. One of Satan's greatest attacks on us is to lie to us, is to manipulate us, like we talked about earlier, to believe something that's not true, to convince us of something maybe of God that's just not real and just not true. And I think one of his most popular attacks when it comes to lying to us is like the, the you can't type of lie, right? Where, where we hear in our minds, like, you can't do this. Like, you can't overcome this addiction. Like, you can't fix your marriage. Like, you can't get this job. You, you can't stand before God. You can't be a Christian if you do this or do this or this is what you've done in your past. And it's the lie that we've been told by our enemy, by this spiritual enemy, that you can't do what you think you want to do. And really, that's what it is. It's manipulation to get us to believe something about ourselves or believe something about God that's just not true. And so what he tells us is he says to put on the belt of truth. Put on this belt of truth. And I think that's a representation of what's right, what's fact, right? To put on the belt of truth. So when our enemy tells us we can't, we, we know we can, 
right? So when our enemy tells us, you can't fix your marriage, you can't change your relationship, here's what we can respond with. With God, all things are possible, right? We take the truth. We take what's right. We take what's fact. We know that we might not be able to do it. Yes, maybe that's what our enemy is telling us. We can't do it on ourselves, on our own, but with God, all things are, are possible, or when we're going through something, or maybe you're pursuing a goal, you're trying to accomplish something in your life, and, and you hear that still small voice in your mind, like, you can't do this. You'll never be able to do this. You'll never be good enough. You'll never accomplish this. Then we need to respond with truth and say, yeah, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, I can do all things through Christ. I might not be able to do it myself, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The greatest way to combat and battle against a lie is by by defending it with a truth, defending it with what's right and what you know to be true. So he says, put on the belt of truth. Uh, my son, when my, my, my middle child, Rylan, he's three years old, and he's got a belt issue. I mean, he's got like one of those, his pants are constantly falling down, and, and he can't keep his pants up for the life of him. And, uh, and any parent knows this, especially if you've got boys. Uh, kids don't really wear belts but they have these like strings on the front of their, their pants or their shorts that sometimes work, but sometimes they're fake, right? Like, isn't that the most annoying thing about kids' clothes is sometimes they're just there for, like, I guess they serve some sort of fashion purpose, uh, but, but sometimes they don't work. They just, they just look like strings that are sewn onto the outsides of the pants. And so Rylan, his pants are constantly falling down. Like, he, he, I mean, he's a skinny kid, so he, we, we can't really find many that match his height to his, you know, to his waist. And so we're, we're trying to constantly tie these up. But then when he goes to the bathroom, he doesn't know how to retie them. And so, you know, he just doesn't wear pants half the time. <laughs> so, so we're at his summer camp this past summer, and how they have it is, you know, they go all week, and then you can come on Friday as the parent and come and see what your kid has done, and they put on this little show for you, and it's really cute. And so part of Ryland's deal was uh, they were doing these warm-ups. It's, uh, you know, they do is like ninja stuff and gymnastic stuff. So they're doing these warm-ups, and he's got his bathing suit on because they had just gone outside. And the bathing suit's one of those, those, those shorts that don't have real ties. They're pretend. And so they're just too big for the kid. And it's so sad because we can't find some that fit him without the ties. And so, you know, he's getting ready to do his warm-up, and he starts doing jumping jacks. Okay, now, right, like, you know what's going to happen. Now, if you've ever seen a three-year-old do a jumping jack, you've got to see this. I mean, it is, like, the most amazing thing ever. I mean, there's just, it's just, like, flying everywhere. But in the middle of doing this, his shorts drop to his knee, uh, to his ankles, and, and he doesn't stop. Man, he's just going. Like, he doesn't care. I think he's just so used to it at this point in his life that he's like, whatever. I mean, no undies on. I mean, he's just, it's out there, Right? And then he falls over and he gets back up and he keeps falling over and he doesn't think to pull his pants up. And when he does, they just keep coming back down. And, and it's just this whole thing. And, and I thought about that and I was like, that's kind of funny because, you know, it, it's hard to balance our lives when we are not wearing a belt, right? Like when, when, our, when our pants are loose, like have you ever tried to wear pants that are too big for you and you forget your belt? Right, like, now, no, don't say anything out loud or don't, don't, don't respond to this just out of respect for your neighbor, but have you ever tried to move around with your pants at your ankles? Like, it's impossible, right? You're going to fall. You're going to stumble. You don't have freedom of anything, right? There, you, you have freedom, but there's no way to move when your pants are too big and you can't move around. Like, you forget your belt and you go to work. I mean, you're just all over the place, right, pulling your pants up. I think when we think about truth, that's the same way. That's why it's given to us as the belt of truth. 
is because when we have truth, we've got freedom to move around. We've got freedom to live our lives. We've got freedom to keep going and, and go throughout our lives without stumbling and falling on the lies that our enemy throws at us. So it's important to understand when our enemy attacks us, he's often going to attack us with lies, things that aren't true. But the way we fight against those is by coming in with the truth and what's right and what's a fact to combat those lies. So he says the first thing is to wear the belt of truth. Here's the second part. And we're going to kind of go through these quick because we're just not going to have enough time to go through all of them. And so, uh, so I apologize if we go too fast. But in verse 14, he talks about the second piece, and it's the body armor of righteousness. He says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth in the body armor of God's righteousness. So when you think of body armor, it's this picture of a breastplate, right? It's, it's kind of like our, our version of like a bulletproof vest. And what does that protect? Like, what is the number one thing that would protect us from? Right, like a, a shot to the heart, right? Or, or an injury to the heart. The most precious thing about us, right, is, is our heart. Or maybe the most incredible thing about our bodies are our hearts. And I think one of the ways that Satan attacks us, our enemy attacks us, is by going after our hearts. It's by going after our purity. It's by going after who we are in our hearts, the love that we have for other people, our generosity, our patience with other people. You ever feel like your enemy is getting after your patience and you just run out and you just want to lose it, right? Our frustration boils up, problems come into our lives when that enemy goes after our hearts. And so one of the things the Bible tells us to do is to guard it by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And really, when, that, when, we, when we see that and we reread that, it's basically saying you need to protect your heart. You need to protect the purity of your heart. Your enemy is coming after your heart. And if you want to defend against it, you've got to protect that purity of your heart. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. Think about how incredible that is. Those who have pure hearts will see God. You'll experience God. Not only can you defend against your enemy, but you can see God and experience God in a way that you wouldn't be able to with a pure heart. And so we talked about this the last couple of weeks in the series of how we can live our lives to be pure. doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean to be pure means we're perfect. It just means that we live our lives with the intentions of doing the right thing, of being honest, of being the people who God wants us to be, of living in obedience to him and doing what he calls us to do the best of our abilities. Even when we stumble, we get right back up and we have the best intentions for our lives and for the people around us. And so our enemy is coming after our heart, and Paul says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The next part is the shoes, the shoes of peace. In verse 15, he says, for shoes... Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Now, the shoes are interesting, right? So if you're from the north, you call them your sneakers. But if you're from the south, you call them, for some reason, your tennis shoes. Okay, I don't get that. I don't understand it. My wife, when we were dating, she's like, go grab your tennis shoes. And I was like, I got no tennis shoes. What are we doing here, right? <laughs> right, but, but the, what do shoes do? They protect our feet, right? They protect our feet, especially when we're, when we're going on a walk or we're going outside. I mean, have you ever stepped on a rock in your driveway? Like even a tiny little rock? I mean, it's like you just stepped on a, a thorn or something. Like it can hurt your feet. So we need to protect our feet, right? And we've learned that throughout history. One of the greatest advancements of Roman culture is the shoe, interestingly enough. 
And if you look back into that culture, what you see is they wore these types of shoes, what Paul's referencing to as armor, but on the bottom of these shoes would be these like spikes, almost like our modern day cleats. And what these shoes were intended to do is to give those soldiers stability, especially as they went on those long marches and, and walked long distances to battle. And so what they're doing is they're protecting people, protecting the soldiers from, from exhaustion, from pain, from discomfort, from being restricted on their journey. And that's exactly why I think Paul tells us to put on these shoes, these shoes of peace, is because there's nothing that our enemy would like more than to knock us off of our path, to knock us off of the path that we've been trying to live on maybe throughout our lives as you, like we just talked about, living in obedience to God. The Bible talks about that straight and narrow path that many of us do our best, the best that we can to stay on as, as, as most, most often as we can, but also making decisions to keep us on that path. And oftentimes when our enemy attacks us, his main goal is to knock us off of that straight and narrow path. Maybe that's he's trying to make us uncomfortable. Maybe that's he's trying to inflict pain on us, whether that's emotional, spiritual, mental pain, or even physical pain. But that's why Paul says we need to put on the shoes of peace. And peace really is just a symbol, right? Peace is a symbol of comfort. To be able to know you can travel long distances without having to take breaks because of how you're protecting yourself. The peace in our lives to know that when the storms come in our lives, that our house is built on that solid foundation and we don't need to be afraid of that crumbling to the ground. So he says, when your enemy comes and attacks you and tries to knock you off of the path that you're on in your life, you need to defend it with peace. Peace of understanding. Peace of knowing who God is. Peace of knowing who you are in God's eyes. Peace in knowing what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Knowing that there's forgiveness. Knowing that there's grace. Knowing that there's mercy in the moments where you feel the weakest and you want to give up. He says, put on the shoes of peace. The next is the shield a big part of the armor. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, he says, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And this one's an interesting one because if you look back in history, an arrow, a bow and arrow, an archer is the deadliest soldier on the battlefield as long as it's from a distance, right? Someone with a bow and arrow is really effective from a distance, but when you're up close to them, they're, they're pretty much useless. And so one of the common strategies in this time period, especially in the Roman civilization, is that they'd have archers sitting beyond the borders of, you know, their, their house, or not their house, but like their base or their, 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 their castle or wherever they were living in. And so what they would do is they would all get in formation and they would take a bow and arrow and they'd load it and they'd all shoot it at the same time, right, to try to bombard their enemy. Oftentimes that was infantry coming to attack them, maybe climb the walls or get in through the gate. So that what they would do is they would take these arrows out, all shoot at the same time to try to bombard their enemy with these arrows. But what they ended up learning to do was even a more effective strategy is they dip the arrows in oil and then they light them on fire and then go through that same process of literally being like a, a rain fire down on their enemies. And so as an enemy, someone who's trying to attack these people, you'd have to have a shield. 
If you don't have a shield, you were dead. I mean, literally, there was no way you can make it through this. And so there was two different types of shields. There was your typical small shield that was just like, you know, a Captain America type of shield. And it really wasn't that effective against bow and arrows. Because what would happen is you'd try to defend yourself and it would get stuck with arrows. And eventually too many arrows would, would break and destroy the integrity of that shield. They were just made of, of this, this thick wood. But still the force of an arrow would end up shattering and breaking the shield. And so what the Romans did is they developed this really large body armor style of shield that almost went from the ground to their head. And it was, it was enough to, to cover the, the width of their bodies. And so what they would do is they would make this formation where the people in the front will put the shields in the front, the people behind them would put the shields above them, and the people on the side will put their, their shields on the side. And they would effectively create this box, this box of protection so when the, the, the arrows are bombarding against this army, then it really has no effect. And so what they would do is they'd dip their shields in water and cover them with this fur so that when the fiery arrows hit their shield, it would immediately extinguish the arrow. And so what they would do is in between the archers shooting the arrows, they would advance a couple yards every time. So they would shield themselves from the arrows, then they had advanced. Then they'd shield, then they'd advance until they got to where they needed to get to to defeat their enemy. See, I think when, when Paul tells us to wear the shield here, he's talking about the, the enemy being the one who bombards us with things in life, with attacks. And anyone who's gone through any type of hardship in life, you know this to be true. When it rains, it pours, right? It's not just one thing bad that happens in your life. It's like 50 Right? When, when you're upset and you're you know, disgruntled and you hate your job, it's not just because of one thing, it's because of like a billion different things. <laughs> right? When you have a hardship in your marriage, when things are going on in your relationship, it's not just one thing that gets on your nerves, it's like a bazillion things that get on your nerves, right? It's the same thing through many things in life. Like, it's not just one thing, it's a bombardment of things in our lives, and that's one of the ways our enemy tries to destroy us. And so that's why Paul says, put on the shield, the shield of faith. Because just like last week, we talked about faith. When we've got a weak faith, it's like carrying around that little shield. We'll be able to, to withstand a couple of those arrows. We can hold up the shield and take three or four of those attacks, but eventually that's going to break and it's going to destroy us. But if we have strong faith, it's like that big, large, thick shield that's going to protect us and help us move forward and advance on our enemy to get to the point where we're victorious. He says, your enemy is coming for you. Your enemy wants to bombard you with attacks. Your enemy wants to destroy you, so wear the shield of faith. Here's the next one, the helmet of salvation. In verse 17, he says, put on the helmet, put on salvation as your helmet. And then he says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But that first part is your helmet. And if you think about a helmet, it's probably the most important piece of an armor set, set of armor. It's protecting your most precious asset, your head, you know, your brain, your thoughts, the, the thing that runs everything, right? He's saying, protect that above all things. It's, it's not a mystery to us, but one of Satan's greatest attacks and one of the greatest things he can do to destroy us is by getting inside of our heads, to knock us off of our focus, to knock us off of not just the path that we're on, but the focus that we have on God. Again, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks too, about how important it is to protect what we let up here. And oftentimes, whatever we let in our minds ends up controlling our lives. And so that's why it's so important for us to understand how to protect 
our minds, to protect our head. See, the enemy wants to take our focus off of God. Our enemy wants us to become distracted with other things going on in our lives. Maybe it's the things you're going through that are tough. Maybe it's something that you enjoy doing, but it's something you know you shouldn't be doing, but you're so distracted by it, it takes your focus off off of God. And so that's why Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. And the imagery here is, is pretty awesome because a helmet protects the most important thing about us, right? But he equates that with salvation, which is also the most important thing about us from a spiritual side. Thinking about eternity, not focusing on the here and now, but focusing on what's to come in the life ahead of, of our eternal lives. And so one of the things that I've tried to do to really live this out and try to practice this is by doing my best to focus on the things that truly matter. You know, I love football. I love the Buffalo Bills. You're never going to hear me stop talking about that. It's like a disease. I grew up with that. I love the Bills. I love Bills football. But when they lose, and if they lose, probably won't do it anymore, but, but if they lose, it's not going to ruin my day. Right? When I'm bringing the kids to school tomorrow and I get behind the guy going 25 and a 45 and I get a red light because of it, like, I'm not going to lose it over that, right? Like, I do my best, and we need to all try to do our best at this. I'm not perfect at this. None of us will be. But do our best to focus on the things that really matter. The things not that will just matter right now or tomorrow, but the things that are going to matter in the scope of eternity. And so to keep our focus on the things that matter is so important, so important to God, too. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 says, Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Your enemy wants to break in and steal. Your enemy desires to break in and steal all of the things that you have in your life. But he says, store those treasures in heaven, not on earth, so that when the enemy comes, he finds nothing. He finds a bunch of things he can't touch. The things he wants to take from you are untakeable. And so he says, put on the helmet of salvation. And here's the last one, and we'll end with this. Verse 17, it says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the bottom line here is that God wants us to know our Bible and to use it. Now, it doesn't mean you've got to memorize the entire thing. It doesn't mean you have to sit there and read every chapter of the Bible every single year, right? That's something we, we do to help us to read and to, to understand and to memorize and to practice taking what we read in the Bible and then putting it into action. But what he's saying here is, to take the sword, right? The sword is interesting, right? Because the other pieces are the, the pieces of armor, right? They're the defense, right? You put a helmet on, you put a belt on, you put, you put armor on your body to defend against an enemy trying to destroy you. But you take a sword, you're on the offense, right? You're going after your enemy. You're, you're scoring points with the sword. And so that's a, that's, a, that's a point of attack, right? And so he's saying the word of God is like the way we can attack our enemy, to keep our enemy at bay. And so know the Bible, but also put it into practice. Which is why when you come to Blue Ridge Church, you'll never hear anyone up here talking about just these abstract ideas. We're going to give you absolutely usable, practicable uh, principles as we go throughout and read the stories in the Bible, right? If we know all this stuff, that's great, but unless we use it, it's useless. It's like carrying a sword, but keeping it on our waist the whole time and then not knowing how to defend ourselves when an enemy comes to attack. And so he says, take the sword of truth, take the word of God, use it, not just memorize it and and know it, but live it out in your life to go after that enemy that that you face as it battles you throughout your life. The reality is we have an enemy. 
We all have an enemy. Even if you don't believe in God, you've got an enemy. But the way to defend ourselves is by putting on that armor that God has for us. To put on that belt. To wear that chest plate of of righteousness. To wear the shoes of peace. The helmet of salvation and the shield of faith. We've got to put on the armor and take the sword and go after our enemy before he goes after us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for this truth and for uh, just knowing that it's not just things that can happen to us because of decisions we make or by circumstances we put ourselves in, but sometimes it goes beyond that. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes there's enemies that we have that we might not be able to see, even though we can feel them, but they're enemies who want to destroy who we are. God, help us to remember that there is a battle going on around us all the time. But most of all, God, that you're fighting on our team. We're not left to fight on our own. We're not left to fight this battle by ourselves. But God, you will be there with us and you will fight there for us. And so help us to put on those pieces of armor. God, help us to to use the truth when we're faced with lies. Help us to have pure hearts when our enemy is trying to attack the purity in our hearts. Help us to find peace and comfort in life. Help us to have faith. Help us to see life through the focus that you want us to have. And God, help us to use the word that you've given to us, not only as something we can know, but something we can use to fight and defend against the enemy. God, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, thanks so much for sticking with us over the last six or seven weeks here in this series. We're really excited about the series we have next week. It's going to be on parenting. So uh, if you are a parent or you want to be a parent at some point in your life, you're going to really love this series. A couple cool things before we leave. You probably saw the t-shirts and hats in the lobby on the way out. Those are absolutely free. You can take one. Take one for your spouse. Take one for your friend. Take one for your kid. There's hats too, and they're limited. So if you want one, you've got to grab one now. Uh, But we really appreciate you being here with us this week. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you back next Sunday. Thank you.